Like, good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. It's good to see everyone. How are y'all doing tonight? Good, right on. And for those who are at home, uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in and joining us as well online. Uh, Just want to let you know, if this is your first time here, we're so glad that you decided to worship with us tonight and to join us. So uh, a couple ways that you can get connected if you want to get some more information. Uh, We have a connection card that you can fill out. Uh, And the easiest way to do that, if you uh, text in, there's a phone number that we're going to pop up on the screen here. It's 520-340-6868. You text the word hello to that phone number. You'll get a link texted back to you. You just tap on that, fill out some information. Uh, if you take that to the back, we're going to have a 10-minute party afterward uh, where we love to get to hear just a little bit more about your story. Uh, we'll be back there just for 10 minutes. You don't have to be there for the 10 minutes, but uh, we'd love to meet you afterward. And we've got the best kettle corn this side of that we would love to share with you. That's right. So we've got everybody here just dialed in on what that saying is. I'm proud of you all. Proud of you all for listening. It's great. So uh, we also have the church app, Element City Church. If you go into the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, you can download the app there. That's another way you can fill out the connection card that has sermon notes in there, that has all the upcoming events, all that stuff as well. Um, yeah, so that's about it as we get started. Let's all stand together. We're going to pray for the church of the week, which I don't know what the church of the week is. It was in my email. Is it fellowship? That's what I thought it was. I thought it was fellowship. Sweet. So we're going to pray for Fellowship Bible Church, their pastor, Pat McClanahan. Uh, We've got some people who used to go to Fellowship who are here as well. So uh, that's a community that they're familiar with. So join me as we pray uh, and invite the Lord just to meet with us tonight. So God, we uh, look forward to the work that you want to do in this room. You're already here. Your Holy Spirit is present and active. And uh, so often, God, when we walk into this room, we're carrying so many burdens and just we're carrying things that... uh, that really prevent us from engaging with you quickly. And so my prayer, just in this moment, God, would you help us just to exhale, just to breathe out all the stress, all the anxiety, all the the cares of this day, and just to take a moment to remember that you are here, that you are with us, and you love us. And there's something that you have for each and every person who's here tonight, a message that you want to write on their hearts. And so we want to be ready to receive it, God. We want to be ready to receive the work that you want to do. And so we lift up a Fellowship Bible Church, their pastor, uh, Pastor Pat. We, we pray your blessings over them. We pray that you would provide greatly for them. And where they're at over on the east side, God, would you uh, just increase their ability to make an impact in the neighborhood where they're, where they're at? God, give them the vision that they need uh, so that they can be the church that they want to be uh, to carry your name to the east side of Tucson. And just pray your blessing over, over them uh, in the same way that we ask that you would bless us tonight, uh, that we want to see you and meet with you. We know that they do too. And so would you just be present to the people of that church? But God, um, just, yeah, tonight, we give you all of our attention, all of our affection in this moment. Uh, and so would you help our hearts to engage uh, with the worship as we sing songs and with the worship as we dive into your word in a little bit. So Lord, have your way tonight. This is your time to do with it what you want to do. We pray it all in Jesus' precious and his holy name. Everyone said, amen. Good evening, church. Let's give all the worship tonight to oh Jesus. He deserves it all. Ciao. 
So Lord, we pray for this perfect peace into every situation that we are going through. anxieties are gone the fear is gone your peace fills up when we lose control fills up all the anxious thoughts all the anxious plans you are in control Lord we know these things but sometimes we fail at practical Lord I do so we pray, God, that tonight is going to be a new page for so many of us, God. Help us, Lord. We need you so much. The Holy Spirit fills us up and give us the understanding what it is to have this perfect peace that's beyond all understanding. So, God, we worship you tonight. You are the greatest, the biggest God. You are the healer and you're the keeper of this perfect peace. We thank you for this privilege that we have tonight to come before your holy throne and worship you, your sons and daughters. We are here and we're thankful that we are here, God. We ask that you would bless Lyle. We pray that his words tonight will touch and change someone's heart. So we calm ourselves, God, and we are listening in your presence. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your beautiful and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I want to suggest to you tonight that 
When God created you, he created you for one purpose, for one thing. And the Westminster Catechism would say it this way. It would say that we were made to know God and to enjoy him forever. And so God created you with a purpose that you would know him, that you would worship him, that you would enjoy him and glorify him. In Philippians 4.4, Paul says it this way. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And so we were made to pursue and to praise and to delight in him. And Satan's strategy for most of us is not to convince us that God is not good or that his scripture is not true. And yet what he wants to do is to distract from your devotion to the one thing by getting you to focus on the many things. And it's subtle, it's sneaky how it happens, right? We start with this great idea, but at a young age we're worried because it's like, oh man, I need to go to college so that I can get a good job. And if I get that good job, man, like if I go to the right school, like that'll make sure that I get hired by the right company. But man, college is expensive, and so I've got to pay for that somehow. So you've got to take out a student loan. And then you realize, man, maybe I'm going to have to work in the middle of college because I still have to pay tuition, and I've got to have money to hang out with all my friends, right? But then you realize even that's expensive because inflation's hitting right now, and gas is going up, and you're just like, what am I going to do? How am I supposed to work and do homework, and how am I supposed to pay for this place where I'm living? And so you need a roommate, and then you get the roommate drama, and then after the roommate drama happens, you're just like, oh, hey, who's this girl? She's pretty cute, right? So it's time to start getting more money because you've got to take her out on dates and then there's more dates and then you've got to post about it certainly on social media, right? And so you're just dancing like the monkey says to dance and you're just like, gosh, well, she's great and so like I need to meet her family and she wants me to meet, uh, she wants, yeah, she wants, oh gosh, right? And this is exactly what happens, right? Satan wants to convince you not that God's not good, not that his scripture's not true, but somewhere along the way we lose it, don't we? And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we continue in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're finishing up Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so if you want to pull your Bible out uh, or get, get your phone out and uh, get into the Bible app where all the notes are, we're going to be starting in verse 19. We're going to read all the way through uh, verse 34 uh, by the end of the night. And kind of where we're at in the sermon, just to, to, to catch up anyone who's new, uh, we've been talking recently about how to have faith uh, and how to practice our faith in a kingdom-minded righteousness kind of way. We want to be teleos followers of Jesus. That's a Greek word that talks about being wholehearted, that having a singular devotion to Jesus. That's what Jesus is calling us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been unpacking what that looks like and how to practice true righteousness when it comes to how we uh, practice our faith in the last couple weeks. And now we're moving into this section, uh, section where Jesus wants to show us how can we be wholehearted, single-minded followers of Jesus with our possessions. And so we finished, uh, if you were with us last week, with these first two verses, uh, verses 19 through 21. It says this, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we looked at fasting last week. 
How many uh, brave souls were like, I went home and I fasted after that? Did anybody, I know that my wife did, she told me, uh, and uh, she did with one other person. But uh, we talked about fasting, and as we finished that up, Jesus uh, kind of drops this message at the end of all of that. And, and he says, stop seeking the things that are temporary. Don't invest your time into the things that will be destroyed, into the things that will eventually wear out and that won't bring you a return that is eternal. Instead, set your mind on the eternal things, as Paul said it in Colossians 3. We want to set our minds on things that are above. We want to invest in the eternal because the things that we care about, the things that we chase are the things that we treasure. And what we treasure, what Jesus is saying, that's where our heart is going to take us. And so he continues here in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So it's a little bit of a weird saying here. He, he starts getting into talking about eyes after talking about treasure. And scholars kind of debate this one. I was researching and reading about it because it is a little bit of a, an odd shift here. Uh, and so there's, there's kind of two ways that, that you can view this. But just to keep it simple, um, I think the, the best way to think of it is this. The body finds its way through life with the aid of the eye. Right? For those of us who have eyes that are good, the eye does what? It lets light into the body. It's the lamp of the body that helps lead us. And so a clear or a good eye will allow that light to come in, but a bad eye leaves the body in darkness. If you've ever known anybody who doesn't have the gift of sight, life is much more difficult for them than it is for those of us who do have sight, is it not? How many of you ever got to do the experiment in high school where they get the blackout glasses and you have to spend time uh, as someone who's blind would do and uh, did that before for a couple of hours? It's stressful, is it not? If you've never been through something like that, it's stressful. And so this is what Jesus is saying is that if we let the wrong things into our body, if we let the wrong things in, it's gonna distract us from pursuing the one thing that matters. So the person uh, who's stingy, who's selfish, as we're about to see, they can't really see uh, where they're going. They're morally and they're spiritually blind. So the person who's double-minded, who's not teleos, dividing his loyalties between God and money and possessions, will have no clear vision, but will lack direction. That's what he's saying here in verse 24. He says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So it's a verse that we hear frequently. Heard it this morning, actually. I was leading worship here this morning uh, for Emmanuel. It's nice that we have that partnership. Uh, and so there, Pastor Michael, he quoted this verse as well. Uh, as he's talking, is Jesus really Lord of your life? And so the idea here uh, that's being communicated from Jesus, notice he's not saying there, uh, you can't serve two employers. Some of you worked multiple jobs. God bless you for having to do that. You're capable of doing that. We can do that. But what Jesus is saying is no one can serve two masters, that we cannot be owned by two separate people and give our devotion to both. And that's what he's saying will happen with God. And maybe your Bible doesn't translate that last word as money. Maybe it says mammon, that you can't serve God and mammon. Um, so if you're curious what mammon is, it's a transliteration. It's a big word that basically means uh, that mammon was an Aramaic word that didn't translate into Hebrew and it didn't translate into Greek. And so they just kind of took how it sounded and they wrote that, the sounds down. So you cannot serve God and man. Uh, 
And what we know about Mammon is Mammon is not just about money. Mammon was someone that was, uh, they were kind of held up as like a, a godlike, a lowercase g god uh, that was in charge of wealth or possessions. And so Jesus is saying that materialistic things, the things that we need to accumulate for our lives, you cannot serve both God and serve your possessions. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve money. Why? Because you're, you're going to be pulled in one direction by both. And what happens if you get pulled in two opposite directions? There's a reason that that was used in ancient times in pretty disgusting ways that we don't need to get into in the middle of a sermon, right? And so uh, Jonathan Pennington wrote a book on the Sermon in the Mount and Human Flourishing, a commentary that Jack and I have been using uh, throughout this sermon series. And uh, this is what he had to say. This is brilliant. He said, singularity or wholeness is the great emphasis here. The image of the failure of serving two masters is appropriate and powerful in light of the consistent theme of singularity throughout the sermon. There's a reason we keep bringing up this word teleos, right? It's about that singleness, that single-mindedness. He says, the wholeness, virtue, inside, outside consistency that has been the theme of Jesus' teachings here finds in many ways its clearest expression in these short verses. Even as it is impossible to live for the praise of others and for the praise of God, so too it is impossible to live greedily focused on money and dedicated to God. So this duality, what happens is it causes many of us to try to live in a way that goes directly in the face of teleos living. And Jesus is saying it's, it's preventing us from flourishing the way that he created you to flourish. And so Jesus is about to unpack the consequences of what happens when we try to serve two masters. Uh, and spoiler alert, it's anxiety. Jesus is about to address anxiety. And I think that this is particularly appropriate for our day and age. Because over 40% of Americans at this point report that they have clinical levels of anxiety. That number is up dramatically uh, from previous decades before it. And in fact, if we would just take some time to kind of query the room, uh, we would probably find that anxiety affects most of us throughout our day in some way, shape, or form, whether it's something that we deal with or someone in our lives close to us deals with. Part of the, the, the big reason that we've seen such a dramatic increase uh, in our anxious, uh, anxiousness is really the, the rapid rise of technology. And this is kind of a crazy stat as I was looking it up. If you're 25 years old in the room right now, you came into the world the same year that the first smartphone did. That's crazy. Like, that's it. Like, 25 years ago, smartphones were just kind of in development, and they didn't fully exist to be available to the public. And now everybody practically owns one of them. And so all of this information that we can now access at the tip of our fingertips it's led to a dislocation with God, with others. And we've been isolated from him, from one another, and now we're anxious and we're stressed and we're depressed. The challenges of technology are not our fault. I doubt anybody in this room worked for Ericsson in 1997 when they were developing the first smartphone. So the challenges of technology that they present to us, it's not the fault of any person in this room. And yet it's our problem. It's all of our problems. And we cannot pre preach the prince of peace when we are overcome by anxiety. 
We can't do it. We can't preach the Prince of Peace when we are overcome by anxiety. And so there's several things that Jesus wants us to see in these following verses about anxiety uh, that I think will be good for us just to kind of unpack a little bit. And so first of all, Jesus wants us to see this. He wants us to see that anxiety is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Matthew 6, 25 through 30, it says this. It says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so we get this kind of gentle rebuke at the end from Jesus, you of little faith. Kind of jarring, right? Like you read through all of that and it just, it seems like there's loving Jesus. That's nice of him to say all of that. And we would read that and how many of us would disagree with that? We would look at it and be like, yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And yet when it comes to living this out, it's just like we're all over the place. Doesn't it feel that way? And so there's this tension that's being created here by Jesus. And really what he's, he's getting at is this, that when we're anxious about the essentials of life, it's really demonstrating that we have little faith in God. The believing disciple has trusted God for his or her salvation. They have God as their heavenly father. Such a person has exercised some trust in God to get to that point. And yet the believer who worries about the necessities of life still needs to trust him for those things as well. Failure to do so demonstrates uh, ultimately it's a lack of appreciation for the father's love and his ability to provide. William Barclay said this, he said, the man who feeds his heart on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. And so that's why Jesus is, is pointing back to take a look at the birds. What do birds do? They just fly around. Like they fly around, they look for food, they're able to scavenge, and yet the Father feeds them. Another passage in Scripture says, doesn't he just sell those birds? Like you can buy them for a penny, two of them. How cheap are they? And yet how much more valuable are you? You were made in the image of God. Birds weren't. And yet God faithfully provides for birds everything that they need. And so this type of an argument to go from the lesser to the bigger is very common in Jesus' time. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, look at these birds. They're taken care of. How much more does the Father love you to make sure that he would take care of you? What about clothing? Like you look at these lilies of the field. You look at weeds. He's basically that word actually could translate to weeds. Look at how the weeds grow up and the flowers that they have, that they are able to produce. They don't have to sit there and knit and sew and do all of that to produce any of that. That's just how they are. That's just how God allowed them to be clothed. And yet today they're here and tomorrow, if you didn't know this, in a Back in Israel during those times, uh, they didn't have a lot of wood. They didn't have a lot of stuff to burn. And so what they would do for fuel is they would actually chop up dead grass. And they'd get all that dead grass from the field and they would make bricks out of that. That's what they would burn. And so Jesus is saying, hey, those look beautiful today. Tomorrow, that's what you're going to be cooking your dinner on. How much more does the Father want to clothe you and provide for you? 
uh, Pennington in his book said this, that these exhortations against anxiety about food and clothing, it's not uh, arguing against the proverbial wisdom of preparedness or saving or planning uh, for times of need. And so that's really important for us to know. Jesus isn't saying, hey, just go live uh, carelessly. Don't worry about it. God's always going to provide for you. Okay? Uh, We still have work to do. Birds still had to go scavenge, didn't they? They still had to go look for the food in order to get their food. And so he says this, he says, uh, they're not saying that growing crops or owning more than one shirt or even a closet to hold your shirts in is wrong. Rather, these instructions are driving at the inner person or the heart issue. The issues of food and clothing are treasure heart matters. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, remember? These are treasure heart matters. The person who lives in anxiety about providing for himself or herself reveals and perpetuates a dual-heartedness. A splitting of the soul between the now where the heavenly father meets us and an imagined dreaded future of need. And Jesus is saying, you're not ever going to be in need. The heavenly father knows what you need and he will always provide what you need. And you might sit there and think, okay, well, birds die, right? Obviously, birds die. We know that. So what what do you do with that? (laughs) Eventually, we're all going to die. What do you do with that? Like, did God stop providing for us? And I think the important principle here, if, if you're kind of going down that, that, that trail, um, I went down that rabbit hole for a little bit, but we'll suffice it to say this. Um, God is sovereign, isn't he? The number of days, the number of minutes that we all have to live on this earth, that's been predetermined. God already knows that. He knows your future. He knows what he's going to do for you. And Jesus even says in verse 27, which one of us can even add a single second to our life by worrying about that? Nothing. There's nothing we can do to change that. And so if that's been predetermined, then we can trust God in his sovereignty to always provide for us what it is that we're going to need in any moment to do whatever it is he has called us to do and has tasked for us to do. Does that make sense? Is that good? There's probably one or two of you in the room who would care about the rest of you are like, let's move on. It's fine. Moving on. So anxiety, first of all, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Secondly, anxiety, and we'll see this in verses 31 through 33. We'll read this in a moment. It's unworthy. Anxiety is unworthy of the disciple. Starting in verse 31, it says, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the nations seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, Anybody who has known me for any period of time and went to college while I was in your life, you know this verse. And you know it well, because I've quoted it to you plenty of times. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Such an important verse here. And and I remember when I came to college, I moved to Tucson in 2001 so that I could uh, go to the U of A. I was a freshman there and uh, I joined a college ministry called Priority College Ministry. It was run by my former youth pastor, actually. Um, So Rob Gassler, he discipled me. He poured into me for 10 years. Love him. I love that man. And, And Matthew 6, 33, this was the verse for our ministry, Priority College Ministry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so I just kind of determined within my own heart, right away when I got to school, that's what I was gonna do. I was gonna, regardless of homework, regardless of anything that needed to be done, my first priority needed to be uh, being plugged into the church, being a part of the church, and letting God shape my life the way that he wanted to. 
And so, uh, man, there were some long nights, okay? Like there were some church events sometimes that because I was committed, that I was going to be a part of those events when they came about, uh, that there were just nights that I was up late doing homework. And I was pretty sleepy as I was finishing those essays and kind of typing those last words to get them submitted. But I tell you what, the one thing that I learned is when I practiced this principle in my life, everything else always got done. I don't know how that happens sometimes, okay? Like there were many a nights that I didn't do Red Bull because that's disgusting to me, uh, but Mountain Dew. Like my brother and I would buy a 24 case thing, you know, at the store, and I would just be slamming caffeine for the whole night. Uh, There's a reason they call it the freshman 15, right? It was more like a freshman 30 for me. Um, Is what it is. So just slamming Mountain Dews to stay awake, to do what I needed to do, and yet the work always got done. And so uh, I don't know if she's even here tonight, but uh, Clarissa, when she was in college and she was going to uh, Elements back in those days, there were so many times to be like, hey, you coming to dinner after church? No, I got so much homework. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Seek first the kingdom. You know, it's like, shut up, Lyle, stop it. Stop it, you know? And I would always just challenge people. Seek first the kingdom. Put the kingdom first. Being a part of God's church, put it first and see what happens in the rest of your life. Jesus is making a promise to you here that if you place him before all other things, everything else will take care of itself. And I've seen that to be true in my life time and time again. And I would invite you to see if he won't do the same for you. Since God provides so bountifully for us, it's not just foolish, but it's actually ungodly for us to fret about the basic necessities of life. The worrying disciple lives like an unbeliever, that's what Jesus is saying, lives like an unbeliever who disbelieves and disregards God. Such a person devotes too much of uh, their attention to the accumulation of material goods and disregards the more important things of life. We don't wanna be those people. And so Pennington said this, he said, the solution then to this anxiousness about money uh, is to set one's heart and mind to seeking God's way of being in the world, to pursue the one thing, to seek his coming reign, which promises to result in all of one's needs being truly met. Thus, the solution to anxiety, it's not just a simplistic stop worrying, okay? Like it's not a pithy little statement that we say to each other. It's a redirecting of our vision, of the disciples' vision to the proper heart orientation that's accompanied by a promise of provision. And so anxiety, it's unnecessary. It's unworthy. And lastly, it's unfruitful. It's unfruitful. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus finishes this section by saying this. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Pennington said, there's no need for anxiety because anxiety is living in worry about something that does not yet exist and will be dealt with when it does. It's tomorrow's troubles. Each day's trouble, especially for the kingdom-seeking disciple, is enough. It's why we just sang that song for the third week in a row, because I requested it. Morning by morning, great is your faithfulness to me. That comes from Lamentations 3.23. That every day we wake up, that there are mercies that God has created for us to live in. And those mercies were created just for that day. And so it's unfruitful for us to worry about what might happen tomorrow, what isn't even promised to happen tomorrow. We might be dreading something that doesn't exist yet. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about those things. You've got enough to worry about today. 
Place me first, seek me, follow me, and I'll take care of the rest of that. And really, if we're honest, uh, what Jesus is getting at here is kind of this idea that um, our problems are not the biggest problem in our life. It's actually our anxieties about our problems that are our biggest problem. Jesus presents anxiety as one of the greatest dangers that keeps you from pursuing your God-given destiny. Remember that we said this at the beginning, that the devil wants to derail you from the one thing by distracting you with the many things, right? And so how do we do this? This tension's been created of how to live this out because it's really easy for Jesus to say it, isn't it? But how does that feel for the rest of us as we're trying to live this out? It's not always straightforward, is it? It's not always easy if we're being honest. In fact, some of you sitting in this room tonight, you're weighed down by the burdens that you're carrying right now. And so what I'm about to say, I'm not saying to cheapen anything. I'm not saying uh, any of this uh, in any way to shame any of us here. And you're going to see God's not shaming any of us for carrying those things. Uh, But we do need a solution. And I think Paul gives it to us uh, in the book of Philippians. So Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church. Uh, If you know anything about Philippi, I didn't have a five-minute nerd out scheduled, by the way. I'm sorry. But here's your two-minute nerd out. So Philippi, uh, it's Caesarea Philippi. Uh, And so because Caesar's name is at the beginning of Philippi, that means that this town has been granted um, status as Roman citizens. And so uh, what we know from history about Philippi is that lots of military, uh, successful people in the military would be given property in Philippi. They would settle there. And so when Paul's writing to the Philippian church, he's writing to a lot of people who are used to strict uh, regimented days, right? Like if you're in the military, we've got some guys here up in the front, my my guys there. Uh, They were in the military. Dave, you're in the Navy, right? Rich just retired from the Army last year. Uh, So... um, you've got this structure that you're used to for so long. There's a reason that Paul's saying, hey, you guys need to loosen up a little bit. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Because when we get so structured with what we do, uh, it, it can be really easy for us to start to do everything out of duty. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago, right? That we don't wanna just love God out of this altruistic kind of stoic mindset. No, God expects us to use our emotions, to glorify him with our emotions. And so that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he says this in Philippians 4, chapter six. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Catch this. Paul's saying anxiety is never godly. In fact, you are not obligated by God at any point to be anxious. And the anxiety that we're talking about here is it's really it's the anxiety that keeps us from focusing on the things that we do throughout the day. Okay? Like there's probably some folks in this room, if we're honest, that you've got uh, anxiety to a point that you have had to see a doctor. And so sometimes medication is required to make sure that we get levels right so that we can function the way that God intended us to function. And so if that's you, I'm not saying any of this to address what you're going through. I think that anxiety, there really is well and truly medical conditions that people have that cause them to deal with anxiety, with stress, and with depression. And so if you're seeing the right people for that, 
Good for you. God intended you to do that. That's a great thing, okay? I'm talking about the anxiety that a lot of us take on ourselves, that we start to worry about a whole bunch of things to the point that we can't even focus on the thing that's in front of us. Can anybody relate to that? Okay, just making sure. A little quiet tonight, not all seeing as many nods. It's a little dark in here too, to be fair. So just making sure we're still together. All right. So what do we do? We don't be anxious, but in everything, pray about it and give thanks. And so you're probably hearing that and you're just like, cool, thanks, pastor, dude, awesome. That's the solution, pray more, got it, right? Let me just check that box because that's worked for me in the past. So I, I get it. It's easy to kind of knock the idea. But before we knock Paul's theory, what we have to admit is that we all take our anxiety somewhere, don't we? And so I would challenge you, uh, what would your version of the verse, how would you complete that sentence? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, eat everything that's in the pantry when you're under stress. Right? Some of these points, uh, a great pastor out of Washington, D.C., his name is Ben Stewart, uh, and he <laughs> talked about this, that uh, when they were planting Passion City Church in D.C., they had some friends who sat down with him to just kind of check in on how they were doing, he and his wife and their health. They're like, what are you guys eating? And without even batting an eyelash, his wife just said, our feelings. And... <laughs> Ben's just like, yeah, that's true. That's exactly what we're doing. That was me, right? Like if I'm under stress, it's really easy for me to want to go to the pantry and find the snacks. Uh, or maybe it's a, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, dive into your phone to pursue distraction from the intolerable feelings of shame and guilt and stress. We all take our anxiety somewhere. And the question I would ask you is, if you were honest with yourself and how you would complete that verse and what you're actually doing with it, have you even tried prayer? Have you honestly given it a good go? That's what Paul's inviting us to do. And the irony in all of this is, as many doctors these days, as we've been able to research anxiety and depression more and more, doctors are telling uh, their patients now that to deal and overcome with their anxiety, they should meditate and they should focus on gratitude to overcome their problems. Isn't that interesting? That in everything with prayer and with thanksgiving to let your requests be made known to God. Hmm. Ben Stewart said this, he said, the secular world is stumbling upon a path that has been ours in Christ Jesus all along. And it's time for us to walk it. But notice here, God doesn't shame you for your anxiety. Notice he's saying, let them rise. Give them to me. And I love that the way that he puts that in that verse, it's let your request be made known to God. For those of you English nerds out there, that's in the passive voice. You're not supposed to write in the passive voice when you write an essay. It's always supposed to be in the active voice. So really, if we were trying to be active with all of that, it would be about those requests, right? It's like pray to God. That's the active voice. And what God is saying is no, it's, it's, an, it's a passive thing. Just let them be made known to me. Lift them up to me. I want them. That's what he's saying. And so rather than me taking my anxieties, my worries to distraction, I then choose to say, no, I'm going to devote them to God in prayer. I'll let these anxieties rise so that I can give them to Jesus. There's a man named Phineas Gage uh, who worked on the railroads. And if you want to be thoroughly disgusted, you can Wikipedia this and read about what happened to him in detail. Um, but long story short, a uh, young man out of New Hampshire, he worked for the railways. And he was really gifted with explosions uh, and, and just how to, to 
bomb through rock, basically. And so there was a, a really freak accident when he was working on the railroads that caused, and I'm not kidding, a three foot seven inch spike, rail spike, 80 pound spike, went uh, during an explosion through the bottom of his, like the upper part of his mouth, out the top of his head, and he lived. He didn't die. In fact, within minutes, he sat up and he's talking and on his way to a doctor. Crazy, just wild story. And so I tell you about this uh, because um, this, this explosion, when that went through his brain, what happened was it passed through the left frontal lobe of his brain. And so that's the part of your brain that regulates uh, your emotions. It regulates the things that you externalize. And so what ultimately happened was he lost his filter. And so Phineas Gage would just go through all these emotions quickly for several years after his accident, where he'd go from praising right in this moment to raging, and then he'd be crying about it, and then he'd be singing. And so it was just this constant, it was almost schizophrenic how quickly he would move through his emotions because his brain just simply couldn't regulate all the thoughts that were coming to his mind. It's fascinating. Why do I tell you about Phineas Gage? It's because I think that that's how God wants us to pray to him. That this should be a good picture of how we pray, that God doesn't need us. He doesn't want us to regulate or to sanitize our prayers. He doesn't need that. He's God. He already knows what's in your heart and what you're thinking. And there's going to be times that you're going to be pretty emotional. And you might snap off a little bit of sassy words to God. He can handle it, okay? Like he's the creator of the world. He kind of knit you together. And so he knows how you work. He's not surprised by anything that's in our heart. But... We need to, as we let our requests be made known to God, we need to do what David taught us to do in the Psalms. In Psalm 42, uh, he said, why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Why are you at trouble within me? And so we feel these emotions. We let them rise when we wake up in the morning. When those thoughts come to us immediately, just let them rise. Let them be made known to God. Don't fight them. Don't try to stuff them down and pretend that they don't exist. That's not helping anything. And that's why doctors have even said, just own the thought, verbalize it. Sorry, getting real worked up here, tapping the mic. Verbalize it, let it lift up to God. Just let them be known. And then query the emotion. Say, why am I feeling this way? What is it that I'm anxious about this meeting? Like, why am I so anxious about this meeting? And then you can just say, well, I really want it to go well. Why? Well, because I want people to think I'm intelligent. Why? Because I want people to approve of me. Why? Well, because I want to feel like I have value. Well, you don't go to a meeting to get value, do you? You go to your maker for that. And what many of us are doing is we're taking issues to the world that we were always meant to take to the Lord. And so as we feel these things and as we recognize the emotion and we kind of see the errant presupposition that's underneath that emotion... We take that to the Lord. We give it to him. And we get to do this with thanksgiving. We can do this with joy in our hearts because we actually get to take them to God. And he's the one person in all of existence, in all of this world, who can actually do something about it. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Psalm uh, 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And so we're invited to cast our cares on the Lord. Why? For two reasons. One, because he's strong enough to carry them. And two, 
because he's loving enough to want to. God's not shaming you for your anxiety. He's inviting you, hand your anxieties to me. And Paul goes on, he says this, there's a a promise that comes with uh, this this idea of presenting our prayer requests to God. He says in verse seven, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Distraction impedes our decision making. There's a reason that we've started to make laws against texting while driving. That when we are distracted and we're not focusing on the things that matter, we can make mistakes, we can mess up. And so we need to set a guard for our hearts, for our minds, to allow us to function properly, to allow us to filter information properly. Why? So that we can make the best decisions that we possibly can on a day-to-day basis. And so we need to release this anxiety to the Lord so that we can think clearly. And the benefit of doing that is his peace will be with us. But with what doctors recommend, the problem with meditation uh, is it's about emptying your mind. In a lot of other cultures, when you meditate, you want to empty your mind of all things. And that's where uh, these practices can go wrong. And so uh, what Paul is encouraging us to do is to release these anxious thoughts to the Lord so that we can take hold of something else. And he says that in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so we don't just empty our mind, we fill it with God's word. Jeremiah Burroughs uh, said it like this, you don't pour wine into a shaky bottle. You have to steal the bottle and then pour the wine. And so God has a blessing that he wants to pour into your life and into my life. And it honors him when we uh, allow him to do so because we've stilled ourselves and we've quieted ourselves in order to hear his voice. And so if the stats are true, um, you all have exposure to God's word. Uh, about twice a week, perhaps. That's, that's kind of what the average statistics would say. About twice a week, you're exposed to God's word. And yet, the average American spends three and a half hours of the day looking at their phone. And so we're exposed to God's word, but our perspectives and our assumptions and our character gets shaped by the world. And it's always meant to be the opposite. I was meant to be shaped by the word of God so that I could then go and engage the world with a whole new mindset. And so we need to bring something different to a world that desperately needs it. But what Paul would say is this, it's not just enough for us to read the words. We have to learn the words of God and then we have to live them out because the blessing comes in the doing. So we learn the words of God, then we live them out. Philippians 4.9, Paul said this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and get this, and the God of peace will be with you. That just escalated, didn't it? Verse seven, the peace of God can be with us. And yet, when we do the things that God has called us to do, the very God of peace himself will be with us. So we don't just listen to God's word. We live it out and we engage his work in the world. And so if you're following along, this is what we do. I release my worry, I embrace his word, and then I go and I engage his work in the world. 
And he promises that not just his peace at that point will be with you, but the God of peace himself will be with you. And so if the peace of God and the God of peace is always with us as we put these things into practice, that means that we don't have to be passive victims of the culture anymore. Instead, we can be transformers of the culture because the word of God is alive within me and I can live out his works in my generation. And so you're probably thinking, hey, does this work? Well, in 1993, Uh, 24-year-old Sergeant Jeff Strucker, an army ranger, was tasked with his regiment to go to Mogadishu, Somalia, to capture some high-value assets. They were meant to be dropped in by Black Hawk helicopters to capture the men, and then they were going to exfiltrate in their Humvees to their base. And so this mission was meant to take minutes, uh, and yet as they were making their way in, two of the Black Hawks were shot down. And a mission that was meant to take minutes now uh, began to last long into the night. And so Sergeant Strucker was tasked with leading that Humvee column out of the city. And as he attempted to do so, they were surrounded by thousands of men uh, who were opening fire on his column from both sides. Uh, And this resulted in the death, uh, one of the first deaths of the entire operation was uh, one of his close friends, Sergeant Pila, in his own vehicle. He managed to make it back to the base alive by some miracle, and yet as he stepped out of his bullet-ridden vehicle, his commanding officer came to him and said, whoa, uh, there's still men captured in the city. You've got to go back. They're fighting for their lives, and they need you. But a special forces operator who was nearby overheard this, and he went to Sergeant Strucker. He said to him, before you go, man, you've got to wash that blood out of the back of your vehicle. If you were to go back into the city and pick up other guys and they had to sit in that blood, they would be traumatized for life. You can't do that. And so Sergeant Strucker uh, went to the back of his vehicle uh, to begin to clean the blood of his friend out of the back. And he records that when he did that, he gets to the back of the vehicle and his heart was just filled with fear. And as he's scrubbing, he's just thinking, this is going to be my blood. This is going to be my blood. This is going to be my blood. But in that moment, he began to do the only thing he knew how to do, and that was to pray. And as he prayed, the Lord reminded him of his morning devotional when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying. Jesus was stressed to the point of blood flowing with his sweat. And he prayed, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, would you let that happen? And yet in that prayer, Jesus got perspective, and he said, but not my will be done, your will be done. And so Sergeant Strucker said that as he thought of it, he thought about the sovereignty of God, and he came to this realization that the Lord determines whether I live or die, nobody else. And he thought about a Savior, Jesus Christ. He realized, I put my hope in him. I have a future with him in eternity because of his finished work. And he said that the thought crossed his mind as he was contemplating the sovereignty of God Uh, And his salvation in Jesus, he thought that if if by some miracle I survive today, I get to go home to see my family. But if I die, I get to go home to see my Savior. Either way, I'm going home. And so he got into his vehicle as this peace just filled him and allowed him to function. He drove back into the city and he loaded it up with injured men. And he was able to evacuate them and get them back to base. And then he went back and he did it again. And then he did it again. 
The following day, a line of soldiers came up to Sergeant Strucker to ask him how he could function with such calm in the midst of this chaos. And he told them all about a prince of peace that can offer a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so Jesus tells us, which of us by worrying can even add a moment to our lives? When it's our time to go, it's our time to go. And so that means that we don't live callously, we don't live carelessly, but that does mean that we can live boldly and confidently to move forward in any situation because the God of peace himself is with us and we can trust him with the outcome. And yet at the end of the day, this isn't about a set of practices that you have to get perfect. It's about a person that you need to cling to. It's about a person who wants to be with you. And so know Jesus, know him. He's not just offering to send you his peace. The very God of peace himself wants to be with you as you journey out of this place, ready to engage in his work for his glory in the world. Distraction is the great enemy of your devotion. Anxiety is a threat to your intimacy with God. But the good news is this, the opposite of that is true. The best remedy to our distraction is a single-minded, atelios, wholehearted way of following after Jesus, of being devoted to Jesus. And the best remedy to our anxiety is intimacy with the Almighty. And that's what's on the table for you and for me. Let's pray. God, I just, I want to thank you that even in the midst of chaos, that you have given us this invitation to release um, our anxieties, to release our worries to you, to let those things rise up to you. Because you want us to live life with a peace, with a confidence, God, that you're in control, that you are a good father, that you are a loving father who takes care of and provides for all of his children. And yet for all of us, there's just this tension that we constantly find ourselves in, God, that we know your words are true. We know that you're good. And yet it's just so hard sometimes based at the, the number of things that just feel like it's always coming at us, um, that we just somehow lose sight of it all. We lose sight of what's important. And so Jesus, I'm praying that tonight would be a moment where you would just whisper into our lives and give us the opportunity to realign, to remember your words, to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness and all these things will be added to us. And so in this moment, God, whatever might be burdening us, whatever weight we might be feeling on our back, would you allow us just the space in the coming minutes to release that to you and to begin to put these words into practice, to put them to the test and to see whether or not it's true that this God of peace who's promising his peace will be with me, will guide me, will protect me and guard me, to see if that won't happen. Thank you, God, that you are so faithful to us, that you are never that far, always available. 
So just in this moment, that's what we uh, want to proclaim, that you're available, that you're there right now. And so we can begin lifting these things to you. Holy Spirit, would you just continue this work that you're doing right now in people's hearts, uh, even as we walk out of this place in the coming minutes. Continue this work throughout the week, Lord. Give us the grace, give us the courage that when we wake up and the thoughts flood our mind, that we just begin to let them rise to you. When the anxieties begin to hit us in the moment they do, that we begin to lift them up to you. We want your peace, Lord. We want your peace. We thank you that it's available to us. We pray in Jesus' name.
Well, hey, it's been a it's been a great night. Like, I'm so grateful that you all decided to join us real quickly. Uh, the 10-minute party is going to be happening in the back uh, shortly. I'll have to get back there. I don't. Yeah, I think it'll just probably be Anya and I at the back. We'd love to meet you if it's your first time. Again, we've got that kettle corn for you back there, so you can pick that up. We've got a couple things coming up that we want to make you aware of. First of all, uh, we've got the ice cream social. It's going to be happening after service next week. So that'll be Sunday as soon as service is done. We're going to go into the gym, the downstairs area. We'll have a whole ice cream bar set up with all the different toppings and fixings and all that stuff, so you can have that. We've got the food distribution coming up. If you're looking for a way to serve and get involved, that's going to be the second Saturday, uh, so that'll be July 8th, and then the next day, uh, July 9th, rather, is when the food distribution is. We're packing boxes on the 8th. Ha, that's what the date was on the back screen. July 9th, we're doing a family zoo night. So uh, if you've got kids, you want to be a part of that, um, that's going to be from 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. All that information is in the app. So if you've got the Element City Church app, you can tap uh, uh, events down in the bottom. You'll see all that information there. So um, we do giving a little bit differently around here. We've got the giving boxes that are in the back. Um, so if you've got your ties, you can drop them in there. Thank you all um, for supporting our church. This is actually the last week in the fiscal year for us. We do the uh, July to June kind of thing. So let's make it a good end of the year and let's start next year out well uh, if we can do that. So uh, yeah, we'll be doing that. Dinner's going to be at El Taco Tote tonight. Uh, so anybody who wants to join us for tacos will be up. Uh, it's the one that's on, um, was that, Wilmot, right? Speedway in Wilmot in that area. So we'll be there. Um, before I read this benediction, just it's important to kind of address that a big cultural moment happened on Friday. And so the Dobbs decision dropped that overturned Roe versus Wade. Um, and I just want to encourage you as a church. Uh, yeah, we're anti-abortion as a church. Um, but there, facts don't care about feelings is something that I hear a lot, but Christians should. We should care that there are people who are hurting. And so this isn't necessarily the time for us to be right as a church. It's the time for us to stand up and be right in the way that we live. And so there will be uh, women who are gonna be in need, who are gonna be hurting, and we need to be the type of church that can receive them. So we've got a crisis pregnancy center that's right next door that we're gonna have opportunities to put our money where our mouth is, that we can support them. We've got a board member for Hands of Hope that's here at the church as well. And so if there's ways that you want to make sure that you can be involved in making sure that we can live out this gospel the way that Jesus has called us to do it, that's what we need to do as a church, amen? So uh, let me read this for you. Ephesians 6, 23 and 24, it says this. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May that grace and peace go with you. We love you. Have a great week.